2 Timothy 3.16, if you're there, say praise the Lord. All right, the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We ask God your blessing to be upon the reading of your word. We ask for your inspiration this morning to declare it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. All right, we continue this morning on the doctrine of Scripture. Say with me, the doctrine of Scripture. Obviously, we've been doing something totally different from what we normally do. We normally uh, do exposition in the Scripture. We teach and preach it to you verse by verse. But what we have decided to do under the leading of the Lord is to help you understand some things about theology and some doctrinal things, etc. So we talked to you about the doctrine of revelation. We gave you Bible introduction. And now we're talking to you about the doctrine of Scripture. So 2 Timothy 3.16, look at it again very carefully. It says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now that simply means that word inspiration means it's God-breathed. Or inspire means to inbreathe. So when you talk about inspiration, this is how the Word of God is recorded. Okay, you remember that? Let me just go over the words again. The doctrine of revelation. Revelation is how we receive truth. Remember that? Okay. Revelation, then, is something that God has done. He has revealed himself or unveiled himself or uncovered himself to us. It's not anything that we could have done on our own. Okay? So God, by revelation, has revealed himself to us. You understand that today? All right, so revelation is how we receive truth. Inspiration is how truth is recorded. So God inspired men or inbreathed into man uh, to record his revelation. So we receive truth by revelation. It's recorded by inspiration. And the third word is that we've already talked about is illumination. And illumination is how you understand the Bible. Alright? So you can read the Bible with your own intellect, with your own mind, but you need illumination, which is God giving you understanding about the Bible. So let me go over them again. Revelation is how you receive truth. Inspiration is how truth is recorded. Illumination is how God helps you understand that truth. Now, with that understanding of the doctrine of Scripture, then we need to also talk about how uh, some people teach, and they say certain things about inspiration that are not accurate. One thing they, they say is that we receive the truth uh, of God's Word by human inspiration. It is not humanly inspired. Do you understand that? It's God-inspired. It's God-breathed. It's not human-inspired. That means it's not based on human genius. Great, the great minds of men, you understand what I'm saying, who've written written things like, say, Shakespeare were, you know, wrote some poetry, stuff like that. That was man-inspired. And many things he said, believe it or not, are rooted in the Scripture. I have a, a, a book by Shakespeare, and a lot of things that he wrote about, whether you realize it or not, 
came right out of the Bible. But his writings, his poetry, much of it was human-inspired or human intellect. That's not how we got the Bible. The Bible didn't come to us through the human genius of man. It came from God himself. He inspired that, okay? So not human uh, inspiration like other great writings. You hear me so far? A second error, the illumination theory. The illumination theory is that man just got illuminated. Okay, now, illumination is God giving you understanding about his what? His revelation. So they get illumination and revelation mixed up. When they say that man received the scripture by illumination, that means all of a sudden he got this, the light came on. Okay, the light came on in his head and uh, he had a heightened religious experience. And when he had this heightened religious experience like the light coming on, he began to write the Bible. That is inaccurate. Man didn't get a, you know, a heightened religious experience and say, okay, I need to put these thoughts down on paper. That is wrong, all right? Number three, the mechanical theory of inspiration. That is that the Bible was dictated to man. That is inaccurate. All right? Did you ever hear anybody say the Word of God was dictated to man? That is totally inaccurate. It was not dictated. Like a boss dictates a letter to his secretary. That's what some people say. They say that's the way the Bible came to us, that it was dictated from God to man. That is inaccurate. It was not dictated. Because if it was dictated, it would take completely out the personality of the writer. You understand that? If you're a secretary just dictating something from a boss, you're not going to, you know, have any type of personal touch to that. Okay? So it wasn't dictation. God didn't dictate the Word of God to man. Man was allowed to express himself, like Jeremiah was the weeping prophet, so on and so forth. So it was not dictation. Say amen. Number four error for inspiration is trance. Some people say, well, we got the Bible because man fell into a trance, and when he fell into a trance, then that's when he wrote the Bible. You know, it's sort of like Edgar Casey kind of a thing. Edgar Casey would fall into trances, and he would start giving out all kinds of information. Uh, Edgar, Edgar, Edgar Casey wasn't a man of God. You understand what I'm saying? You could fall into a trance and, and have all kinds of information come to you from demonic spirits. Does that make sense? So the Bible didn't come to us as a result of man falling into a trance without any consciousness of his own. Now, there are parts and portions of the Bible that came to man when they were in trances, but not all of it. Part of it, but not all of it. Okay? So the trance theory of inspiration is incorrect. I know I'm moving fast, but I have to. Number uh, five, the partial uh, theory of inspiration is also error. That teaches that we have part of the Bible. Our part of the Bible is God's Word, but not all of the Bible is God's Word. It only The Bible only contains the Word of God, but it is not all the Word of God. Now, what I have before you today in this book is not just something that contains the Word of God, but it is the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. You understand that? It doesn't just contain, uh, let's say, 
For example, a man will say, well, it contains the Word of God so far as it talks about faith. But when it talks about history, when it talks about archaeological things, when it talks about scientific things, that's not inspired. Well, that's an inaccurate statement. From Genesis to Revelation, any subject, historical, uh, if it's about the faith, or if it's historical, or if it's archaeology, whatever subject it is, science, everything that's written in this Bible, no matter what that subject is, is inspired of God. Okay? So it doesn't just contain the Word of God concerning the faith that we live, but it is inspired all the way. Every part in this Bible is God's Word. It doesn't just contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Do you understand that? Okay? All right. Number six, the thought uh, theory of inspiration. That God gave the thoughts to man, and man put it in his own words. That is inaccurate. It wasn't just God giving man the thoughts, and then him putting it in his own words. Every word is inspired by God. In fact, we told you last week that when the uh, people translated the Bible from the original writings, they literally, when they made a copy, they counted every letter, not the words only, but every letter that was in the original so they would be absolutely sure they got every letter and every word in that copy because they understood that the whole Bible was the Word of God. Every word, every letter, not just the thoughts of God, but the words uh, came. So that's called the thought theory. Now, are you with me? All right, this is the Word of God. It is plenary, plenary, P-L-E-N-A-R-Y, plenary verbal inspiration. That means it's full and complete plenary in every part, full and complete in every part, plenary verbal inspiration, full and complete in every part, verbal, okay? So by means of words, every word in this Bible is inspired by God. It is God-breathed, okay? So man received that revelation from God, and then God breathed it to them, and they wrote it down. Go to Psalm 45. We'll see what David said about it. The New Testament says it was by inspiration. David said in Psalm 45, verse 1. Forgive me for moving so fast, but I have to. I've got a lot of air to cover. All right, Psalm 45, verse 1. David said this, My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. So that's the way David uh, understood inspiration. My tongue was the pen of a ready writer. God inspired or God breathed into David his word. That word was placed on David's tongue. David spoke that word. When he spoke that word, he then wrote it down. My tongue was the pen of a ready writer. So David understood that it wasn't just his words that he was writing down, but it was God in breathing into him, placing that word on his tongue. He would speak that word and he would write it down. My tongue was the pen of a ready writer. That's probably one of my favorite scriptures in all the Old Testament. Okay, let's go over to Peter. Uh, along with 2 Timothy 3.16, we have a statement in Peter, in 2 Peter. The Bible tells us in chapter 1, 
verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. That doesn't mean that you can't take the Bible and interpret it. All right? The Bible is meant to be interpreted. Amen. Do you understand that today? It's meant to be interpreted, but you have to have proper interpretation. What he's talking about here is how we got the Bible, how we received it. It was not by private interpretation. Verse 21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So that's inspiration. Tells you how we receive the word of God by revelation, and that's how they received that word. Inspiration is how they recorded that word. Illumination is how they understand that word. Does that make sense to you? It does say praise the Lord. Okay. Uh, trying to debate whether or not to. Yeah, no, I'm not going any further with that. Okay. Let's go over then and let's look uh, at some proofs of inspiration. Number one, proofs of inspiration. We have miracles. The miracles in your Bible, for example, the life of Jesus, the miracles that he did are so intertwined with the Scripture that the miracles that he did authenticate the Scripture or they show that the Scripture was accurate. You understand? You can't record the life of Jesus without recording his miracles. And if you record his miracles and you said he did this miracle and that's, so that miracle backs up the Scripture that has been written. When the apostles went and preached in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, Really, it's some of the acts of some of the apostles when they went and preached the word of God. What did God do? Miracles, signs, and wonders were done by those apostles. And those miracles, signs, and wonders were pointing people to the truth of the scripture or the message that they preached. Now, obviously, Satan can do a counterfeit miracle. So we're not resting it just on miracles. But what I'm telling you as to the Bible itself Miracles that were done by the apostles by Jesus show that what they said, the message that they preached, was accurate. Because those signs and miracles followed the message that they preached. Okay, do you understand that? Then you have another ev evidence that we have the inspired word of God, and that is prophecy. Prophecy has to do with knowledge. Does that make sense? Miracle has to do with a divine, a divine act of God. You talk about a miracle, it's a divine act of God. It is something that is unusual. It is something that is powerful. Man can't do it. So it's something, it's a deed of God. It is a, a demonstration of God's power. All right? So when you see a demonstration of God's power, then it is uh, proving the inspiration of the Scripture. Now, Prophecy is the evidence of divine knowledge. So we come to the Bible, and I've spent most of my life preaching. In fact, I've preached the whole Bible to this church. We've been here for about 20 years, and I've preached this whole, the whole Bible to you from Genesis to Revelation. And we have spent a lot of time, especially in the prophets, have we not? So you know a lot about Bible prophecy. You probably know more about Bible prophecy than most churches do. That's, we spend a lot of time in prophecy. And you have seen in God's Word, prophecy, God giving history in advance. 
revealed those facts before they came to pass. For example, we preached about Cyrus when we went through the book of Ezra and the book of Daniel. And Cyrus was called by name 150 years before he was born. The prophet Isaiah called him by name. Can you imagine that? That prophet wrote the man's name 150 years before he was even born, that he would be the one that would be used by God to restore Israel back to their land. And that was given 150 years before the man was even born and he was called by name. Now, only God can do that. So that, that prophecy, that divine knowledge that's recorded in the Word of God is proof that it is God's Word. It's not just the mind of man. You with me here? God, uh, in, in the prophet Isaiah chapter 10, we've gone through the prophet Isaiah in the 10th chapter, talked about the rise of the Assyrian Empire. Y'all remember that? What would happen to the Assyrian Empire, so on and so forth. In the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7, God gave you history in advance concerning powers and nations. All right, Babylon was a power when Daniel received that revelation or that prophecy from God a hundred years before the Medo-Persians overthrow the Babylonian Empire, a hundred years before that, God said it would happen. Okay? And then following the Medo-Persian Empire, God said, remember we studied that in the prophet Daniel, Daniel 2, Daniel 7, then it goes on into Daniel chapter 8, that following the Medo-Persian Empire would be the Greek Empire. Called it by name, the Greek Empire would follow the Medo-Persian Empire. And then we have that nondescript beast in Revelation chapter 7, so on and so forth, the ten horns, one horn coming up from the, the midst of the ten horns, and one horn is the Antichrist, the ten horns is the kings that he'll rise from. You remember that? And that body, that nondescript beast was the Roman Empire. So it tells us that the Antichrist is going to rise from a revived Roman Empire from among ten kings. He's a little horn with eyes. You understand that? So we see even God showed not only the defeat of Babylon by the Medo-Persians a hundred years before it happened, and then following Medo-Persians, the Greek Empire, and then the Roman Empire. Then he goes on and he says, in the last days, there's going to be a Roman Empire that's going to be revived. It's going to have ten kings, and from those ten kings, one's going to rise to the Antichrist. So God revealed that before it ever happened. Can you imagine that? Would you know, would you know that if God hadn't revealed it? No. He revealed the history of the nation of Israel in many aspects before it ever happened. So, the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is a book that is about the future. And it is given to the church to encourage it in times of great difficulties when the, the beast is coming to devour the church, when the beast is seeking, seeking to destroy the church, world governments, world religions. You understand that? World economic systems are coming together, used by Satan, the beast, to wipe out the church. And in the book of Revelation, God is showing the church what's going to happen in the future, and he's telling the church to be encouraged, overcome that beast when he starts trying to rise up against you, destroy you. It is a warning to you, do not apostatize in the last days when things get very difficult. Some people say, we're going to be pre-tribulationally raptured out. We don't have to worry about it. The book of Revelation is not written to us. How crazy can you be? The book of Revelation was written to the seven churches of Asia, which is... <clears throat> a conglomerate of the church as a whole all the way to the second coming of Jesus and he's telling you when the beast rises up he's speaking to not just the church of the, of the first century he's speaking to the church of the end times and he's telling you when that beast rises up to destroy you and devour you that you maintain your faith and do not backslide do not apostatize do not fall away 
and he gave us great detail in the book of Revelation prophetically as to what is going to happen so that you and I, we can read the newspaper and say, yeah, the Bible talks about that. Because God gave us history written in advance, prophecy. Only God could do that. All right? So those are just a few examples. So he shows you all the way up to his second coming. He shows you the kingdom age. He shows you the new heavens and the new earth. He shows you where people are who are not saved. Only God can know. You understand that? Milton in Paradise Lost would not have known that if God had not told him in the Bible. So we see miracles then, a divine act of God's power proves that the word of God is inspired. We see prophecy, which is divine knowledge or the evidence of divine knowledge recorded in the Bible proves that it's the word of God. Say amen. I don't read Nostradamus to find out what the future holds. I read my Bible to find out what the future holds. Praise God. And so... You're very familiar with these things because we just recently taught you the whole book of Revelation in the light of the fact that the church will be on the earth when the Antichrist rises to power and it is given to inspire you and to encourage you to overcome that system and do not apostatize in the last days. Be faithful to God to the very end. So I thank God for prophecy. It is a proof or evidence of divine knowledge. Now, when you talk about prophecy, then there are, there's four things that I'll give you that will help you understand what true prophecy is. Okay? Number one, for it to be true prophecy, it has to be written before the event happens. Right? Now, we've already covered, and I'm talking about predictive prophecy. Because prophecy is not just predictive. Prophecy is preaching. When a man gets somewhere in the inspiration of the Holy Ghost and he preaches the Word of God, that is prophecy. Because it's still dealing with the Word of God and it is inspired. But I'm talking about predictive prophecy. How can we know if a prophecy, a predictive prophecy is accurate? Well, first one, as I said, it has to happen before. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It has to be given, the prophecy has to be given before the events happen. Or, with, or it's not predictive prophecy. If I write to you something today and tell you something that happened yesterday, that's not predictive prophecy. For it to be predictive prophecy, it has to be written down, it has to be spoken before it happens. Right? How many of y'all believe that? I believe that. Also, number two, once a prophecy is given, it cannot be fulfilled by the person who spoke it. All right? It's called self-fulfilled prophecy. You know, there's some preachers, they get up and prophesy, all right, you're going to get a job tomorrow. And then after church, they call you and say, you can work for me. That's not a prophecy. You're going to be blessed tomorrow. You're going to be blessed tonight, you know, with $50. And then he goes over there and gives you fifty dollars. Well, and they act like that was a prophecy. That wasn't a prophecy. That was self fulfillment. It just you understand. So for it to be a true predictive prophecy, the person who has spoken it cannot be involved in the fulfillment of that word. Well, you may get up and you may encourage somebody and go. You know, you're going to get fifty dollars. 
and they go give fifty dollars. Well, praise the Lord, you're encouraging, but it's not predictive prophecy. Does that make sense to you? If it does, say Amen. Whenever the prophecy comes to pass, okay, it has to be exactly according to what was said. For it to be true predictive prophecy, if a man says it's going to snow two inches tomorrow, amen, it can't snow two and a half inches. Why are you so quiet? If a man gets up and says it's going to snow one point, five point, whatever, it can't be five. It can't be five only. It's got to be five point something. So for it to be true prophecy, it has to be fulfilled exactly according to what was said would happen. It's not going to be some general thing if it's for true predictive prophecy. Y'all okay out there? How many prophets we got out there? All right, the events must be the same as the detail. Last one. The last one that proves that the prophecy is predictive. Are you with me here? That there's no possibility of accidental fulfillment. It cannot accidentally be fulfilled if it's predictive prophecy. That makes sense to you. All right, those are the four things that determine if it is true predictive prophecy. And I know, I know I'm putting you to sleep, and I know you really don't care anything about this stuff, but I'm still going to teach it anyway because I like it. If you don't like it, that's fine. I'm having a good time. Okay? All right, numerical structure of the Bible. This is uh, the Numeric English New Testament by Ivan Pannon. Ivan Pannon spent 50 years studying just the numerical structure of the Bible. Okay? And he believes that his translation is accurate based on the numerical structure of the Bible. That means that the Bible has a numerical structure. And I'm going to give you 13 different features. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, the genealogy of Jesus. There are 13 specific features that, that are divisible by seven in 11 verses. Ivan Pannon, 50 years of study, said that it would be, listen to this, for you to have 13 different features, Matthew 1, 1 through 11, 13 different features, divisible by 7. The chances of that happening is 1 in nearly 14 billion. So we have a numerical structure in the Word of God. Now, and I'm not just talking about Numbers in the Bible. Jesus is a master mathematician. Right? The number one, the number unity. The number two is the number of division. Number three is the number of resurrection. Number four is the number, is the number of the earth. The number five is the number of grace. The number six is the number of man. The number of seven is the number of God. God's completion and perfection. Amen? The number of eight is the number of new beginnings. So on and so forth. And I'm not even talking about that. E.W. Bullinger wrote a book on numbers in Scripture and he deals with stuff like that. I'm talking about the structure of the scripture, the way it was written. Okay, you with me here? Now, I'm not going to go in here and I'm not going to read Ivan Pannon's study for you because I don't want to bore you any more than you are this morning. But in the back of his Bible, the numeric Bible, it gives the record of what I'm going to share with you. Okay? You with me? 
All right, just turn there to Matthew 1 so you can look at it. Okay, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, verses 1 through 11. Now, it goes all the way through 17, but I'm only going to cover with you verses 1 through 11 real fast. The numeric structure. You understand what I mean when I say divisible by seven? It can be divided by seven. Well, what I'm going to share with you, one in 14 billion chance that this structure could be there. One in 14 billion. All right? A lot of people don't even realize it's there because you read the English Bible. What I'm going to share with you is based on the Greek, not the English Bible. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. The Old Testament written in Hebrew and Aramaic. Now some people say, well, the Gospels, they were written in Hebrew originally. Prove it to me. Show them to me. Where are they? Okay? So until somebody can bring me an original text in the Hebrew of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so on and so forth, okay, then stop telling me that the Gospels were written in Hebrew. Nobody can produce that original, right? Okay, so anyway, New Testament is written in Greek. So what I'm about to share with you is this numerical structure is found in the original Greek language, not the English. If you start, start trying to count this out in the English, you're going to be, it's, it's not there. Why are y'all looking at me like this? Y'all okay this morning? Okay. Trying to listen. Well, it's quiet enough to listen. It's really quiet in here this morning. You can listen real good. Now, I know some services we have, everybody's going crazy, and we're all screaming, shouting, praising God, and I'm really loud and preaching everything, and you can't hardly hear anything, but you're getting a real good sister. I didn't have any problems. Some people be sleeping behind me and everything else, so don't All right. Here you go. You ready? I'm going to give you some instances where we have a, 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 a structure, a numerical structure that's divisible by seven. It's going to blow your mind. One in 14 billion chance. Okay? You with me? It can be divided by seven. The number of words in verses 1 through 11 can be divided by seven. And that's in the Greek. Okay? The number with a vowel beginning the word can be divided by seven. The number of words which begin with a consonant can be divided by seven. The number of letters can be divided by seven. The number of vowels can be divided by seven. The number of consonant letters can be divided by seven. Words occurring more than once can be divided by seven. Words that only occur once can be divided by seven. Nouns can be divided. The number of nouns can be divided by seven. You with me? Words that are not nouns can be divided by the number 
seven. Proper names can be divided by the number seven. Male names can be divided by the number seven. Female names can be divided by the number seven. That is a print, a handprint of God. Numerical structure of the Bible. And that's just that's just one area of scripture. This man spent 50 years doing that with the Bible, New Testament. One in 14 billion chance that, that would happen. Now, when I get into the I talk about the Apocrypha as we close this lesson this morning, I'll talk to you about the Apocrypha. One of the reasons why the, the Apocrypha is not a part of the Bible is because it does not have that numerical structure in it. It is something that is supernatural to the Bible itself. Say praise the Lord. Now, one other quick statement is that before I go on, uh, there were codes, Bible codes. I've got some books on Bible codes where events in history, it's never to be used to interpret history, but you can go back and look at the events of history and find them encoded into the text itself in detail. Like 9-11, remember? When the towers came down? Encoded in the Bible gives you the events that took place that day in a small section of Scripture about this period. Remember, Brother Mark, you gave me that book? There are codes, and I, I shared that with one guy, you know, this is a long time ago, and I just got chills running up down my spine. The God in the original text was so, it was so supernatural that he could give you the re re regular wordings of the scripture inspired them. They wrote it down, didn't even realize it's encoded in all these lines of scripture is the message of history. That's in field at the time. I didn't bring that book because I didn't have time this morning to get into that. But this Bible is a miracle of God in its original writings. It's inspired. Every letter is inspired. Every jot and every tittle, the crossing of every T, every dotting of every I from God is inspired by God. The yoke, are you with me? Everything, the yoke, the little bitty, just a little bitty movement on the top of a letter is inspired by God. I got a book in my library right now that deals just with the Hebrew letters alone. You understand? 22 Hebrew letters alone that talk about every movement of that letter means something. So when I say to you, it wasn't just the thoughts that God had man recording his own words. It was every word. It was every jot. It was every tittle. It was every mark. And the translators of the Bible, the, uh, the Hebrews, when they, the Old Testament, they were so careful, as I told you before, they counted every letter to make sure they weren't missing any letter. And when they came to the name of God, yod heh vav in the Old Testament, when they wrote it down, they put their pen down, went and took a shower. They came to the name of God, wrote it down, took their pen down, went and took a shower. That's how much they reverenced the Word of God. You understand? Now, I know you love the Word of God, but I'm speaking to Americans. And we Americans, I don't think, put the kind of value on the Bible that we should put. We should reverence it. We should respect it. We should stand in awe of the Bible that we have. Amen? Now, the English is not inspired. The originals are inspired. The translation 
of the Bible. You have a lot of translations in the world. English is only one of them. When we say inspired, we're not talking about the English version. We're talking about the original text. Okay, say amen. Believe, believe that. So isn't that awesome? Numerical structure in the Bible. The Bible's genuine. Say genuine. That means it is what it claims to be. It's true. It's credible. Say credible. It's truthful on every subject. It's credible. It's truthful on every subject. What do we say incredible was? What is credible? Credible is believable. What is incredible? Unbelievable. What is what can only be incredible? That which is impossible. Only that which is impossible can be incredible. Right? Unbelievable. And only only what can be impossible? God cannot deny himself, right? So anyway, we're not going to get into that. Credible. Say credible. It's believable. Every part of the Bible is truthful on every subject. Not just faith, but every subject. Archaeology confirms that the Bible is accurate. When you read certain things and you can, you know, that this happened and this happened, archaeologists have actually found unearthed. For example, they unearthed the fact that Abraham lived in Ur of the Chaldees. The Bible says that he came out of Ur of the Chaldees, and then later in history, archaeology found his name inscribed as a citizen of Ur of the Chaldees. So on and so forth. I used to receive a magazine with archaeology in the Bible. It's just amazing. I don't have to have archaeology to believe the Bible. I'm just telling you that archaeology confirms the Bible. I got news for you. People have tried to go over to the Mesopotamian area and try to find and try to prove that, uh, you know, apples don't grow good. Try to disprove the Bible that Adam and Eve ate an apple. The Bible didn't say they ate an apple. The Bible said they ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They'd read the Bible, you know, accurately, they would have saved themselves a lot of money, a lot of time. You see what I'm saying? So archaeology confirms that the Bible is accurate. Now, historical writings also prove the Bible is accurate. Because there are many people that are recorded in the Bible that you can read in historical writings, early historical writings, and their names are in those historical writings. Not just the Bible talks about these people like Abraham, but historical writings of other men say this man lived. And this event happened. And that event happened, correct? We talked about the plagues of Egypt. That is a historical fact. They can look at history. Even if you didn't have your Bible, you can look at history, and it's recorded in history that where these things actually happened in Egypt. They were written down historically what the Bible said happened. And of course, they try to explain it away and try to explain miracles away from it. They still say it happened. Historical writings prove that the Bible is inspired. Okay, now the apostle, the apostles, endorsed uh, it when they quoted from the Old Testament, put it in the New Testament. Jesus spoke scriptures from the Old Testament, right? In fact, he fulfilled over three hundred thirty prophecies in his first coming, and most of those were fulfilled 
in the last hours of his life. His crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection. Most of the 330 prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus happened in, within the last few hours of his life. That's not even counting the ones that deal with the second coming. Okay? So Jesus put his endorsement on the prophetic scripture by what he said and the way he fulfilled them with his life and his death. Big old word, canonicity. Say canonicity. How do we get our Bible? How do we know the 66 books of the Bible are all the books that should be there? Canonicity means a standard or a ruler. It's like a ruler. It's a standard that the Bible or the Scripture must meet in order for it to be considered as God's Word, His revelation, how we received it, inspiration, how it's recorded. There is a standard called canonicity that determines that. Now, Ezra, the scribe of the Old Testament, who we preached about not long ago, is given credit for the canonicity of the Old Testament. Ezra, the scribe, is given credit for putting the Old Testament together, the books together. He gathered them together. He said, this is God's Word. Okay? And put it together. There's a standard we're going to go by. Ezra is given credit for that. In fact, Ezra is given credit for hermeneutics. You know what hermeneutics is? If you don't know it, I told you that means you didn't write it down. You should have wrote it down. Interpretation of the Bible. Many of the laws of interpretation, Ezra the scribe is giving the credit for not only the canonicity of the Old Testament, the coming together of the Old Testament, but he's given the credit for the laws of interpretation of the Bible, of the Old Testament. Okay? And what about the New Testament? Well, how can we determine if the New Testament is inspired of God? Twenty-seven books in the New Testament that we have. Well, let me give it to you. Ready? Okay. You can get this out of Thiessen. It's a Systematic Theology by Thiessen. It's 103 through 104. It's the pages. And this is how you can determine if a, a book should be in the New Testament. Number one, does it have apostolicity to it? I love that word. Me and Brother Daniel always have a good time with it. I always, I always talk about apostolicity. I said, Brother, are you going to preach on apostolicity today? I said, I asked him one night he was going to preach. I said, are you going to preach on the third dimension of apostolicity? He just looked at me. He's still working on it, aren't you, brother? Still working on the third dimension of apostolicity? Praise the Lord. It's a powerful word. I guarantee if you get him say, I'm going to preach on the third dimension of apostolicity. Apostolicity. Everybody's going to go, woo! Get ready. Get the notepads out. It's going to be heavy. It's going to be awesome. Anyway, I'm just messing. New Testament. How do you determine whether a book should be in the New Testament? Number one, it has to have the apostolicity on it. Was it written by an apostle or someone who knew an apostle? Did you catch that? Are you awake? In fact, the Gospel of Mark, um, Mark has his name on the Gospel, but it is, it is believed that it was the sermons of Peter that he wrote down. Okay? So, the Gospel of Mark is in there believed to be the sermons of the Apostle Peter, he wrote it down. But it still has the mark of apostolicity on it because it's either the Apostle wrote the book or someone who knew the Apostle wrote the book. 
Number two, contents. The spiritual character of the writing, okay, uh, determines whether or not that, that book should be in the New Testament. Okay, spiritual ca character to warrant it to be scripture. And then number three, universality. It's accepted by the church, okay, at the time, at that time, to be scripture. Inspiration, the internal evidence in the book. That's how it was determined what books entered into the New Testament. Okay, you with me still? Kind of, sort of, half awake? Good. This Bible is infallible. From Genesis to Revelation, it's infallible. That means it's without error. It's without error. In any subject, and every subject, without error, infallible. You believe that? Therefore, this Bible is the authority. We go by this Bible as the authority. Correct? Because we understand it's Number one, re revealed from God to us. Number two, it's inspired, recorded. Does God inbreathe or inspired into man? That word, they wrote it down, and then it's illuminated to give us understanding by it. Does that make sense? This is the authority that we go by. Okay? You can't go by man's reason. We talked about reason, real good, important, have reason. Reason gives you the ability to know truth. It also gives you the ability to make a judgment on something. And it gives you the ability to organize something. So reason has to do with knowledge of truth, judgment, and organizing. We need that to study the Bible because God didn't put his word together in systematic theology. You have to do that. That's why a lot of people don't preach the Bible. They just get up and just, yeah, 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 scream and holler all night long. They don't preach the Bible. They don't teach the Bible because they don't, they're too lazy to study it. God didn't put it all together, all the subject together in one little neat package for you. You've got to go from Genesis to Revelation and study systematic theology. Put it all together, any given subject. We'll study uh, various subjects pretty soon, okay? You have to do that. God didn't do that for you. You gotta dig it out. You gotta, you got to. You understand what I'm saying? Reason. The ability to know truth. Judgment. Okay, what is this saying? Organizing, putting the facts together on any given subject, and then declaring. In fact, Timothy said this study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly divided in word of truth. He said they have to be rightly divided. That literally means it has to be like a row when you're plowing a field. It has to be straight from Genesis to Revelation. The field can't look like this. The row can't look like this. Rightly dividing means cut straight. No contradictions from Genesis to Revelation in your interpretation. This is the authority. Not man's thought. You understand that? Man's reason is limited because we're fallen. Man's intuition is limited because we're fallen. We need to rely upon what God said in His Word. That's why so many churches have so many different doctrines or interpretations of the Bible is because 
They're trying to bring their own reason to it. Just let the Bible say what it says. Brother Dodge used to say this to us. He said it's like a, a lion in a cage. Just open the door of the cage and the lion will fight. You don't have to defend the lion in the cage. The lion will defend itself. You understand? If you're preaching and teaching the Bible accurately, just open the door of the cage. It'll defend itself. You don't have to defend the Bible. See, a lot of people are trying to defend defend their teaching. Okay, no. Just just preach the Bible. If the Bible says be baptized in Jesus' name and be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues, you preach that message. You don't try to explain it away and say it was only for the early church. You start doing that, you're going to find yourself in a big problem. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. Preach the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. That's what we've done in this church. We haven't thrown any out. The Bible says it. We believe it. We have to interpret it. We know that. But the Bible will interpret itself. Amen. What is the authority? It's God's Word. Not even my interpretation of it's the authority. God's Word is the authority. There was a time when your pastor believed in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. And I, would, I could sit down with you and I could give you all the reasons why the church is not going to be here in the tribulation period. And then I found out I was wrong. My interpretation was wrong. When I found that out, what did I do? I stood up before the church and said, my interpretation of it's wrong. I believe in the post-tribulation rapture of the church. And I've been teaching and preaching to that, and it's made more sense. The Bible and prophecies made more sense to me than it ever has before when I got lined up with the correct interpretation. You have to adjust what your interpretation is if it doesn't line up with this book. But this is the authority of God. Why did you believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, Pastor? Because I was taught that. Until you start digging for yourself and maybe get some people that, that have understanding that you don't on the subject helping you with it. And I, but then you got to be honest. you got to be willing when somebody sits down with you and shows you something that's in the Bible that you haven't taught before. You have to be honest. Say, oh, no, share it with me. Show it to me. I wonder what the Bible says because this is the authority, not me. The Bible is the authority, not you. The Bible is the authority, not the church. God gave His Word to the church. He didn't give the church to the Word. The Word didn't come out of the church. Praise God. The Word came from God. It is the authority. And you have to line up yourself with this book. I'm a bibliocentric believer. A bibliocentric believer is somebody whose experience lines up with the Bible. You're looking at a bibliocentric believer this morning because my experience lines up with the Bible. I'm baptized in Jesus' name. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. Amen. I'm a bibliocentric believer. I'm not a Christocentric believer. Christocentric, Christocentric believer is somebody that tries to make their experience, you understand, the authority. Tries to make the Bible line up with their experience. No, 
our experience has to line up with the Bible. Some of you are going to go, well, why are you saying this? Because I'm under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to say it this morning because somebody needs to hear it. Does your experience line up with this book? Or are you trying to take this book and make it line up with your experience? Then you are not a Bible believer. The Bible is the authority, not you and not me. If you're not careful, I don't care what flavor you call yourself denominationally. You will put yourself in the same kind of mindset and thought as the Roman Catholic Church does. And the Roman Catholic Church says the church is the authority. Here? Well, first and foremost, you're not the authority. I'm not the authority. You're not the authority. The church is not the authority. You make the church the authority, you got big problems. The Bible is the authority. Anytime I cross that, doesn't mean there's not authority in the church. But we base, that authority is based on the authority of God's Word. Okay? Now, what do the Roman Catholics teach? Well, and not just them, but I said, there's many churches that think that they are the authority. And what they say, it doesn't matter what the, what's in the Bible, it's because of what we believe, it's what we say. No, that's dogma. We explain to you church dogma. Dogma is what men say the Bible says. Theology is what the Bible says. But dogma is what men say the Bible says. How do I believe I believe this Bible is the authority of God. I believe it's inspired, it's God-breathed, men recorded it from Genesis to Revelation, every word. What do you say? Well, Pastor, there's lies in the Bible. Yeah, that's right. There are lies in the Bible, but they weren't inspired by God. There are lies that are written in the Bible, but those lies weren't inspired by God, but God inspired the recording of those lies. There's no such thing as inspired lies. But there is a such thing as inspired recording. God didn't inspire the words that Satan was saying. We're preaching the book of Job to you on Wednesday. God didn't inspire the words that Satan said. But he inspired the recording of the words that Satan said. This is the authority right here. This is it right here. I, I must submit, and you must submit your life to this word right here. Not what you think, not human intellect, not human illumination or intuition. It is God's holy word that I must line up with. And if my church doesn't preach, if it doesn't line up with this Bible, my church is wrong. If what you say, if what you think this morning... You know, I'll be honest with you. Well, go ahead and think. I don't have a problem with you thinking. But sometimes I really don't care what you think. If it doesn't line up with this Bible, you are only bringing your philosophy, your thoughts. Tell me what God is saying. I feel the Holy Ghost today. When you stand up and preach or you teach the Word of God or you testify or teach a Bible study, tell those people what God said. Don't tell them what you think. God said 
you tell them what God says, it's their goal. They say, well, I don't believe that way. Well, you have to line up with the Bible, not the Bible with you. I don't think that's right. Well, I don't care if you think the Bible says it. I think I do it differently. I don't care if you do it differently. What does the Bible say? You learn some saying. Okay. If your church is wrong, it's wrong. Well, we've been around here for hundreds of years. Well, praise God. I can I can show you our pattern. It goes all the way back to the apostles in the book of Acts. Where's where 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 do you find your church? Can you find your church in the Bible? I can find my church. It's in the Bible. It's in the book of Acts. I preach exactly what the apostles preached. Can you find your, your church in the Bible? You can't find if you can't find your church in the book of Acts, your church is wrong. You better start preaching what that New Testament church preached. Are you here today? Well, I keep preaching the song about these kids for a minute. I thank God that the church is not the authority. I thank God North House is not the authority. Hallelujah. I thank God Jerry Carter's not the authority. I'd mess you up so bad you wouldn't know you'd be walking forward or backwards or sideways if I was the authority, if I was telling you what I thought. I'd mess you so bad. I'd mess you up so bad I'd make such bad decisions. My decision would have you going front when you should be backing up and going back when you should be going front. People start making their own decisions not based on the Word of God and they make all kinds of huge mistakes. Aren't you glad that the authority is not with your pastor? If I don't say so, it's not with me. It's with God's Word. I have to line up with it too. And when I'm preaching the Word of God to you, I'm saying it's, it's first to me, then it's to you. I have to line up with it too. The doctor used to say, you got, you're pointing the finger at people like this. You got, uh, well, you know, he used to say you got four pointing back. He said you got four pointing back, but I don't know how you get four pointing back. I got three pointing back. My thumb's wanting to go with, if I'm going to point like that, my thumb wants to go with that finger. So really, I'm not just pointing the finger at you. I'm pointing the thumb and the finger at you. When I point the thumb and the finger at you, that means I got three, at least three, pointing back at me unless I'm kind of, you know, strange and and I believe that, and you know that about this, Pastor. I've always been honest with you. You have to get over it. You have to get over your own philosophies, your own dogma. Because if you start letting your own mind govern your life, you will be destroyed. You let a man, you let a preacher, without you going into that Bible and, and finding... Out if it's accurate or not, you let that man tell you what the truth is, without you studying it yourself, then you're not a Berean. The Bible says the Bereans got in the Word of God and the Apostle. The Apostle preached to them the Word of God. But when he got through preaching, I'm not mad at you, I'm just fired up this morning. When that Apostle preached the Word of the Living God, the Bereans got together and said, We better check that Apostle out and make sure what he's saying is accurate. Anything I ever preach to you or any other man or any other woman preacher or anybody else ever says to you, you need to get in that Bible and find out for yourself is what he's saying the truth. I don't care who he is. Because the Bible is the authority. 
we're going to get in. We're not going to miss. We're not going to do this to where man is the authority or a church system is the authority. I don't care what plan you have. Whether you call yourself Southern Baptist, Methodist. I don't care if you call yourself Pentecostal, United Pentecostal. I don't care if you call yourself the sinners of the Lord Jesus. I don't care what you call yourself. Your organization, your denomination is not the authority. It's this Bible. You understand what I'm saying to you this morning? Well, I want I'll just talk to Pat. He's got all the answers. No, I don't. You need to get in the Bible. The Bible's got all the answers. Praise God. And, and I've talked to a few of you here lately, and I know you don't have the answers. Because I go away from you shaking my head. I'm going to, you know, nothing bad this week. In fact, for some of you, you come up to me and you tell me you make a decision, I'm going to go op- just the totally opposite direction because I know every decision you make, it should be just the opposite. I'm for sure, I'm for sure not going to look to you to be the authority. Is that all right out there? I, I knew God come and sit here at some point, even in an old dry theological method. He come and sit down here somewhere. I think that's debatable. The Word of God is the authority. Have you ever made a mistake? Have you ever been wrong? Have you ever made a bad decision? Any story? You don't. You don't need to ask any other questions. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I get in my car driving the other way. I guarantee you, I'm going the right direction. I find out after I guaranteed I was going the right direction, I'm going the complete wrong direction. And every time I do that, it lets me know for sure that I'm not the one that's infallible and I'm not the one that has the final authority. We took, you remember we took the kids up there to run that national track meet, cross-country meet up in San Antonio? I started coming back here. I planned on being back in Sunday night service, you know. I started coming back, and my GPS, you can't even, you can't even trust a crazy GPS. My GPS sent me a totally different direction and sent me toward Austin. And I kept going more and more toward Austin, more and more toward Austin. All of a sudden, it dawned on me. My GPS is, is misleading me. I said, I better get a backup here. I got my, my cell phone, my iPhone. I checked the map on the iPhone, and the iPhone said, you better turn right now. <laughs> I'm going... I'm going, thank God I had enough sense to back myself up, back the GPS up. I'm going to go to Austin. That's why I, I laid out, couldn't even make it a night service. It sent me hours out of the way. You can't even trust the crazy GPS. Amen. They're supposed to be foolproof. And every time that happens to me, you know, after I get this, you know, I'm going to get disgusted. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever been there? 
just talk to me. That shows you you're not infallible. Just make a mistake. So I ask all of you to pray for me. You need to pray for me. Don't come in here and be my critic. I'm going to sit down and flop down like you're the authority on everything. You're the quarterback sitting on the pew. You need to pray for me. I, I don't want to make a mistake. But I can be corrected. I can be corrected if I'm wrong. The pride's not going to get a hold of me. I'm the man of God. You can't tell me anything different. I'm the man of God. Now, if I'm wrong, I'll say it. I'll tell you right now. I don't have any problem with that. You have to. You, but before I go on, I was going to talk to you about the church today. I want you to skip. I'm going to tell you something. You know what a, a problem with a lot of men are? They can't separate themselves from their gifting. So they stand in the pulpit and they preach the power and the anointing of God is on them. You know. They step out of the pulpit, you know, they're just a regular, normal human being. But they think they're the ones that are standing behind the pulpit. No, that was the gift of God. They were standing behind the pulpit. When you step down out of that pulpit, God don't leave you, but that anointing is very special. You have to be able to separate yourself from your gift. If you don't, you'll go crazy. Because you'll start thinking that you are the one that stood behind the pulpit and delivered it. No, it was the gift of God that was on you. I'm telling you. Okay, are y'all here tonight, today, this morning, whatever time it is? <laughs> well, I think I'm going to handle my family this way. You better handle it according to the Bible. Well, I think I'm just going to talk to my kids instead of using the rod. You better listen to the Bible. You're not going to listen to your talk. You're going to listen to consequences. Tell the rod to pull the child. Make my child a hell if you don't correct me. I'm going to be their friend. They're going to warp them. They need a daddy. They need a mother. They don't need a friend. Amen? And I'm just asking you, how many of you have ever made a mistake? No, no, no. You better keep your hand in it. If anybody else makes a mistake, you won't let them do it, will But you forgot what God brought you. You forgot what you you forgot what you did before God got a hold of you for about ten years. And you've been in a, sitting in a church for about ten years. Your pastor's been preaching, you know, for you for you for ten years of the word of God and God's been dealing with you for ten years and saving your life for ten years and somebody makes one mistake and you want to take them out and hang them. What would have happened if your pastor would have done that to you? There wouldn't be one member in this church that hung every one of you. You need to you need to get your head on straight. You need you need to give people the same the same opportunity that you had. I'm, I praise God, Brother Mark's my good friend. He's not going to be mad at me and I say this, but this man sat and looked at me for two years on a few before he was ever, back, ever baptized in Jesus' name. He just looked at me. And then finally, one day after two years, man, he walked up and said, I want to be baptized in Jesus' name. I go, whoa, I didn't even, really? Okay, sure, yeah, no problem, whatever. 
my point is, you become the sole authority of everything and everybody that walks in this earth of what you You forgot what God did for you. How patient He was with you. Stop making yourself, you know, judge, jury, prosecution. Let God do the work. I'm really trying myself as your pastor to let God do the work. See, I just happen to believe that God and His Word, His Spirit, the authority that's in His Spirit, and the authority that's in that Bible right there, that God can work with you. That God can change you. You have to be careful about judging the worship of another person. You don't know what God is doing in them and how they're... How, how, God is working in them, what He's already done in their life. They may not be there yet, but they're on their way. And I don't want to get in the way. You're not the authority. God's Word is. I'm not the authority. God's Word is. It's just delegated. If there's any authority in this church, it's delegated. The church in Rome, Roman Catholicism claims infallibility. Church in Rome claims that they are without error. You understand that the Church of Rome teaches that you cannot be saved except you be in their church. Because they are they, they teach that they are the infallible interpreters of the Bible. They are without error in even their interpretation. They teach that the Pope is without error. They teach the supreme head of the church, that he is the supreme head of the church of Jesus on earth. They teach that he is the infallible oracle of the Holy Spirit. Remember what oracle means? It means the speaking place of God. They teach that the Pope is the infallible speaking place of the Holy Spirit. They say he is ex cathedra. Ex cathedra, which means all his judgments and words are infallible. I told you not long ago, I've got some research. I, I was going to teach it one night, and I thought the Lord did it just like well, I want to talk to you about this new pope. You know, I was so excited about this new pope. He said, Pastor, you're not supposed to be putting down. Let me tell you something. I'm telling you the truth this morning. I'm so excited about this new pope. You know, he's, he thinks the same way the rest of them think. He's just putting on a front, on a show. He still teaches the same thing. He still believes. He still believes what I'm telling you right now the infallibility of the church of Rome, that they're infallible in, in the interpretation of the word of God. They still teach that he is the supreme head of, of the church of Jesus Christ upon the earth. They still, he still believes that he is the infallible oracle of the Holy Spirit on earth. Believe me. He is ex cathedra, his judgments and words are claimed to be It's not just that denomination that's got a problem. 
when man, I don't care what denomination, but when man gets his hands on it, he's going to corrupt it. I don't know if you realize this or not. When the latter rain, outpouring of the Holy Ghost in the early 1900s took place, people received the Holy Ghost. Remember, go back to the Jesus Church, so on and so forth. People see the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues, and then from there they got the revelation of Jesus' name, baptism in water, meeting with him. And then, you know, revelation of the oneness of God. You know, there were men of God, holy men of God, inspired by God, told those people who are experiencing these truths of the way God's Word told them, don't make a denomination out of it. Don't do it. Why would they say that? Why would they say don't make a denomination? Because they knew that once man puts his hands on anything, he's going to mess it up. He's going to corrupt it. Those powerful men of God, powerful preachers that God gave illumination to on these truths that we believe and preach that are in the Bible. They don't make a denomination. That's what happens is they make a church hierarchy. Make the church the I'm not criticizing. I'm not criticizing men. Okay? Criticizing. But we are fallible. That's what those men are saying. Don't make a denomination out of it. You know what denomination really means? It means to divide the number of people. Divide and number the people. Consumption. Church becomes the authority. Catholic Church becomes the authority. Or other church systems, doesn't matter. The man puts his hand on it. The Episcopal, the Episcopal, uh, Episcopal bishops collectively make decisions when those Episcopal, Episcopal, Episcopal bishops get together and they make a decision. It said that that decision is infallible. The Episcopal bishops made the decision. Church history shows that what I just told you is inaccurate. The Roman Catholic Church is not infallible. The Episcopal bishops are not infallible. Whatever the denomination is UBC, AOJC, Church of Christ, whatever it is. It is fallible. The authority does not rest. Infallib- infallibility, you understand? That kind of authority doesn't rest in the church. It is the Word of God. As long as we preach this, this authority right here, that's what you and I have to line up with. Okay? The authority I have is delegated. The authority you have is delegated from God. Praise the Lord. Okay, in closing, let's go to Hebrews 1 1. Am I boring you? I'm really not trying to. I'm trying to help you. I want to help you. You understand, church? You could, you could be preaching the apostolic truth, preaching baptism in Jesus' name, the oneness of God, being filled with the Holy Ghost, with everything speaking of other tongues. Preaching holiness as given to us by the word of God. 
And if you're not a part of that denomination, they will say you're going to hell. And I'm not just talking about the Roman Catholic Church. There's some people they saw hard line, denomination hard line. You're not even going to go to heaven if you're not in their denomination. I'm not here to promote denominations. We're here to preach Jesus Christ. We're not here to promote systems. We're here to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You understand what I'm saying? This is it. And I'm not patting on myself on the back when I say this, but that's why when I stand behind this pulpit, I don't do a lot of talking. I go right to the book. Right to the Bible. And I preach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Because I don't have anything to say. It's not in this book. I try to I try to advise you. I try to help you with decisions in life based on His Word, not my own. I walk away from situations, and I lift my hands to heaven. I say, "Thank you, God, because I heard you speak. Because I would not have known what to do in that situation." speak. Your spirit and your word will record this. Even the gifts of the spirit are regulated by the word of God. Prophecy is regulated by the word of God. Speaking in tongues is regulated by the word of God. You understand what I'm saying? Everything's regulated by the word of God. We just can't come in here and do whatever we want to do. Thank God. Because I get in here and I'm preaching the word of God and all of a sudden you say, I got a word. You jump up right in the middle of the preaching. You We had that stuff going on all over the place. We had nothing but total chaos and confusion. Because God is the one that tells us the structure. He governs the gifts of the Spirit. The administration of the Spirit. Amen. The discipline of the Just one more. Where's the authority? Right here. I'm a video centric believer. My experience lines up with the word. The church's experience must line up with the word. The word produced the church. The church didn't produce the word. Hebrews 1 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us and us by Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. Okay. Last thing I'm going to cover with you before I let you go. Y'all been wonderful this morning. I appreciate your time. I really feel good. There's a group of books called the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha. The Apocrypha was added to the Bible by the Roman Catholic Church. Okay? It's called, if you want the actual version, it's called the Douay version of the Bible. The Douay, and I probably even sent the, the translation wrong, the name of it. I think it's Douay. Added the Apocrypha to the Bible. 
and said it was inspired scripture, inspired God. Here's the apocrypha, the 14 verses. The Roman Catholic added to the church, Roman Catholic was added to the Bible in 1546 AD. Is that part of the Considered as inspired scripture. Okay, really? Well, first of all, let me tell you the names of those two. First and second, Estes. Tobit. Judith. The book of Esther. Not the one in the Bible. Wisdom of Solomon. Ecclesiasticus. Baruch. Song of the Three Holy Children, History of Susanna, Baal and the Dragon, The Prayer of Manassas, and First and Second Maccabees. For example, the Maccabees between the Testaments, you understand what I'm saying? Between Malachi and Matthew, all of that history of the Maccabees, the Hammers. Antiochus Epiphanes, Greek, Antiochus Epiphanes, the top of the Antichrist, rising to power, horrible desolation upon the Jews. Hammer, Maccabees, rising up to try to bring pure religion back into the Jewish nation. They have books, first and second Maccabees, a lot of wonderful historical writings. I can use them in my preaching. Some of the history that's recorded there is accurate and good. It fills in some of the blanks in the book of Daniel. When you teach the book of Daniel, it's important to understand to know first and second Maccabees. Maccabees, the history that's there. It, it helps you, but it's not inspired scripture. There are some good things in the apocryphal writings, but they're not inspired scripture. Number one, the apocrypha is rejected as scripture by most of the church. When was it written? It was written in the 400 years between Malachi and John the Baptist. That's called 400, the 400 silent years between Malachi and John the Baptist. That's when the Apocrypha was actually written. Now, I said it was added to the Bible by the Roman Catholic Church in 1546 AD, but it was written during that 400 silent years, those books. Okay? And because those books were written in that 400 silent years between Malachi and Matthew. Why is it called silent years? Because during that 400 years, there was no inspired prophecy from God. No inspired scripture from God in those 400 silent years. And that's why the Jews reject the Apocrypha as being a part of scripture because of the 400 silent years. No inspired scripture. Okay? Written in those 400 silent years, they say, we can't accept it as being part of the Bible because there was no inspired scripture given to man in that 400 silent years. Okay? No inspired prophetic utterance. This is why the Jews reject them. It's not quoted in the New Testament by Jesus. Or the apostles. Not only that, but none of those writings claim to be inspired of God. 
said, I'm glad to be inspired to that. None say or speak with a message from yod heh vav Watch this. If it's inspired of God, there's not going to be what? Any error. It's going to be infallible. Everything that's said is going to be without error, correct? If it's from God? Okay. Well, there's errors in this. There's historical error. There's geographical error. There's chronological error. There's contradictions in those books that contradict the Bible and history. They teach doctrines contrary to the Scripture. Example, lying is sanctioned. Suicide and assassination are justified. Magical incantations and prayers for the dead are taught and approved. And finally, they do not fit into the numerical structure of the Bible. There's no numerical structure in here. Say praise the Lord. So, this brings to conclusion the lesson on the doctrine of the scriptures. And I hope you understand revelation, inspiration, and illumination. How we receive our Bible came from God. I thank God when I teach it to you that it is the authority of God right here. Hallelujah. It is the authority that governs and controls my life, governs and controls, his, controls every aspect of the church, and as long as you and I live by it, as long as the church is governed by it, we'll be fine. We'll make it all the way to heaven. As long as you order your family according to the scripture, all right in your family. And I thank God for the living word, Jesus Christ, the written word that reveals him to us that we have in our hands. Last thing I'll tell you, prove this is God's word, is its preservation. You think about way back in the days of the Romans, the Roman emperors, how they took this mind up tried their best to destroy it. In fact, put laws, made laws, to destroy this book. You think about all the beast systems throughout time that have risen up to try to destroy this Bible. And they still have it today. It has stood the test of time. It has been through all kinds of attempts to wipe it out. This is the whole Bible. The scripture. How many people hit it underneath the boards of their wagons to try to get it across borders of this is the Holy Bible. How many people died translated? How many people were put in cold dungeons to translate it into the language of their people, cast into dungeons? It survived all that. The preservation of this Bible.
And not long ago, in closing, when Brother Edmund shared with us the fact that in Dubai, Dubai, they didn't have many Bibles. I mean, remember? You talk about the number of people who had Bibles? It was so, there was such a small amount of people that had Bibles over there. And, and, and what's the name of it? Myanmar? Myanmar? Myanmar, right? Myanmar, thank you. Burma, right. That even pastors that were trying to preach over there, many of them didn't even have Bibles. And so, to God be the glory, the church in Taiwan, at Edmund Church, and this church here in Austin Fellowship, agreed together to buy, I don't remember how many, like, what was it, $6,000 we gave? They gave, I think they matched it, $12,000 just to purchase Bibles. We translated into their language. So today, church, because you care enough that somebody else would have this Bible, when you stand before God on Judgment Day, people who would not have had a Bible for an hour today, God is going to reward you for your contributions so that somebody else will have the word of God. We need to treasure this Bible. I know, I know it's not the original, the translation, but it's still his word. I don't think we ought to throw them on the ground. Just a little practical thought here. I don't think we ought to throw them on the ground. Lord, forgive me. This is God's holy word. Maybe we ought to reverence it enough not to even stack another book up on it. Maybe we ought not carry it into the bathroom with you. Get your newspaper, get your magazine, something if you want it. If you need to read it, you can the rest of it. Let me take this another bless you. I hope this has been a blessing to you. We please stand. Lord God, I come before you today. I thank you for the truth. I thank you for your word today, God. Lord, we submit our hearts, our lives, our minds, our spirit to it. God, that it teaches.